0: Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump in to today's conversation. My guest today is Gavin McClurg. It's difficult to know how to introduce Gavin. He's had more adventures, close calls, and epic expeditions than anyone I know. He's also one of the most driven and passionate humans out there. I met Gavin through the paragliding community by listening to his podcast, Cloud-Based Mayhem. After learning to paraglide, I got the crazy idea to reach out to Gavin and pitch him the idea of me being a guest on his podcast, a total newbie but with some insights that might be helpful to other new pilots and especially for women in the sport. I was thrilled when Gavin answered my email with a sure, let's give it a try. And the caveat, uh, I'd like to reserve the right to decide whether I publish it or not until after we talk. Totally understandable. Gavin began his athletic career early on as a ski racer and by the 1990s, he was headed for the Olympics. Unfortunately, an accident resulted in his knee being able to keep going under that amount of pressure. He started and ran a sailing and kite surfing expedition company for over 10 years, circumnavigating the world twice and exploring some of the most remote beaches and waters in the world. In 2006, he learned to paraglide and I think it's safe to say paragliding has mostly consumed his life ever since. He's a professional pilot and has competed in the X alps four times now and counting maybe? Stay tuned. I love the idea of exploring making life less difficult with people who choose hard things, like Gavin. People who push themselves to the brink over and over. Does it even apply, this idea of making life less difficult? Is the concept even relevant? And in our conversation, Gavin generously shares his stories and reflections around the difficulties in life, especially when they are chosen. We explore the value of simplicity and how even in challenging situations, simplicity is often what makes life less difficult. We touch on themes of pursuing what's most important, letting go of the drive to get and accumulate more and more, and also the unique changes and challenges that come with the privilege of aging. Please be sure to check out the show notes for links to Gavin's website, his TED Talks, his expedition movies, and more. Thank you so much, Gavin, for your inspiration, not just to me, but to countless others around the world. Gavin, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast.
1: What a great name for a podcast, by the way. I I love it. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, Let's make it less difficult. (laughs) Uh, I'm all about it. Trust me. Good time to be thinking about that as we head into 2022. (laughs) Yes.
0: And I come at it as someone who often uh, makes my life more difficult. So, it
1: is, Don't we all?
0: yeah, I think so. So I like to start off, Gavin, asking this, the, the podcast, the work that I do is built around a quote by Marianne Evans that says, what do we live for if it is not to make life less difficult for each other? And I'm curious, as someone who does a lot of very difficult things in life, what, what comes up for you when you hear this quote, what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other?
1: Oh, gosh, I wish I would have been prepared for that, Lisa. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is going to be an answer, but I have always, I was just listening to a podcast by Sam Harris, Harris on the limits of, uh, what was it the, the limits of pleasure? And, you know, they talk about how important it is to have Challenge and strife and things that are hard uh, chosen, not you know, not not chosen things that are really hard. You know, losing a child or something, for example, is just there's no, there's no goodness around that really. Um, but you you know, I, I I think my life has been dictated by going through hard stuff, mostly physical, not so much maybe the mental side, but. I think that's important is to, you know, face up to things that are challenging and figure out a way through them. And that just makes those moments more special that I think it makes you more aware of the moments and more aware of the things that you should really be paying attention to, Um, you know that's that. I, that's just something that I've been doing my whole life, and I, I think when you do a little bit of it, you know, you throw yourself off the into the deep water, the deep end a little bit more, and it becomes a habit, and you you can you're you can keep doing it. Um, but I think in terms of you know the the goal of making life easier is to make it simple. I, I, for for me, those two things go hand in hand. I you know, I'm a big fan of Yvonne Chouinard, you know, the founder and former CEO of Patagonia, and he's still very involved with the company. And he talks about that a lot. There was a film that they did 180 South where he talks about, you know, the, the you know, maybe the best way forward is to take a step back. And he's talking about that more with the environment and with corporations and the, the damage we're doing to the, the planet. But um. Yeah, life's simple. Uh, life's hard enough as it is, and I think if we simplify things, then things get easier.
0: Yeah, so I I love that, and and it and it's interesting because simple to me doesn't exactly equal easy, right? And, Definitely not. And there's a lot. I mean, given everything you do in your life, there's a lot that you choose that is extremely challenging and difficult. And, and not easy, right? Like you intentionally choose things that are not easy. And yet, you know, I'm curious, particularly from your perspective, what, I mean, does it even resonate to even think about making things less difficult? Which, which I see as different than easy. So it's not about making things yes. easy.
1: It, it, does, it does resonate. Um... It's it's interesting. I mean, even even thinking about making life less difficult is is hard for me to ponder in a sense. Because I'll, I'll give you an example. Stories are always good to highlight these kind of things. My first really big trip uh, in my I had traveled a lot with my parents when I was young, but my first solo kind of big trip was right out of college. Uh, I was very into climbing at the time, and but I hadn't done a lot of mountaineering. And I'd I'd mostly just done free climbing and and sport climbing and a lot of training in the gym and stuff. I, I went to school in Boulder, Colorado, and there's a big climbing scene there, and I was pretty into it. And right out of college, I traveled down to Bolivia to get into the mountains. And I'd been studying Spanish, and so I I just I wanted to spend a bunch of time in in South America and. You know, I was loaded by loaded. I mean, I had, I think I had 1500 bucks, which I knew would last me forever down there. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a college student, you just, you don't need that much money. And so I I had enough money for the flights and I had, you know, and I I got there uh, to La Paz, the the capital of Bolivia. And the first thing I did was try to find, you know, this was back, you know, backpacking was just becoming, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but that would have been, 94. And you know, backpacking wasn't the thing it is now. It was was a little more expedition, a little less canned adventure. And but I was in La Paz and there weren't that many green goes around. And I thought, well, I need a I need a guidebook, you know, and I I can't remember where I was, you know, a, a backpackers hostel or something. Uh got the lonely planet for, for South America, you know, it's this big, it's a phone book. And I had it for two days, three days and threw it in the trash can. I just thought this is, this is taking me where all the other white people go. And, And anyway, it was just, it was making my, I wanted to have this big adventure, you know, I wanted it to be hard. I wanted it to be challenging. I wanted to meet local people. I didn't want to go from backpack or hostel to backpack or hostel. And we all just follow each other around in, in Bolivia. So, so the first great thing I did was get rid of that book. And, and I've done that everywhere I've gone since I, I don't get guidebooks. I talk to, try to talk to people. Um, but that trip, you know, I, I had I planned on being down there for a year. And I wanted to do Bolivia and Peru and I had big plans and lots of climbing laid out and about a month in, I had done some fun climbing and nothing, you know, I didn't know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't have mountaineering gear, and that kind of thing. And by, by, climbing, I just did some high altitude peaks and stuff. They were hikes mm-hmm. and, but everything was too easy everything. You know, the hardest thing about being down there was that the buses would be 2 hours late or something. You know, it just it wasn't um I didn't it was weird. It was, you know, I didn't find it challenging. It was just everything I wanted to do, I could go do. The food was great. The people were really nice. Um and I just felt like I was wasting my life. And especially coming out of college, it was that whole god, you're supposed to be doing something. You're supposed to be succeeding. You're supposed to be changing the world. And I was doing none of those things. I was just having a nice time in South America. Um, And my whole life, I'm going to bring this around, but my whole life has been trying to figure out how to relax and try to figure out how to enjoy stuff like that for just what it is. And why does everything have to be hard? Um, So, yeah, flip it back over to the psychologist here, hopefully, but you know, that, that's, That's why it's so hard for me to give up on things like the X-Alps. You may have seen, you know, I did, I've I've done four now. Uh, Mm -hmm. This last time I was very public about this is my last one. That's it. I'm not doing this again. I've ticked that box. It's been six months and now my head is, that's all I can think about is gosh, I left something on the table there. I'd sure like to go do it. So yeah, maybe I'm not the very good person to be interviewing about making life less difficult, but the point of that whole thing was that um, I, I I love challenge and I, I like I like when things present a, a problem to be solved and when it's um, yeah so I don't want things easy but I but I think I think I I'll, I'll try to wrap this up by just saying you know what I have learned with all these challenges and um, you know trying to trying to prepare for them and pull them off is. You know, the what I love about doing them, an expedition, for example, you know, when I, when I did that paragliding slash you know, hiking across the Alaska range, that was 37 days. Um, what was so magnificent about that, it was life was really, really, really simple. You know, mm-hmm. you wake up, you eat, you try to cover distance, you try to stay alive. That's it. That's all there is to it. For 37 days you know there's no cell phones there's no distractions there's no um it's the it's the greatest reality I've ever experienced and you know I I I like those pursuits because they're so simple you know what I, I I have not been able to find uh a correlation to that in quote-unquote real life
0: yeah Well, and it it's it strikes me, and 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 you're an awesome person to talk about making life less difficult because I find this is really fascinating because a lot of people their mind immediately goes to oh well I should try to make life easy and I I don't that that's actually not how I see it at all and I
1: Mm.
0: I resonate with those times where life becomes very clear and simple right so crossing the Alaska range you're you're literally every day. Okay, we've got to stay alive. We need to find our food. We need to figure out, you know, where those caches are that you put out there ahead yeah. of time. Right? right? And then you need to figure out where to be launching, where to be landing. Um, and 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 while that was there was nothing easy about that, the simplicity of it, the clarity, in a way, makes life in the grand scheme less difficult because you, there's no sorting through, oh, what's important today? What are we going to focus on? It's like, you wake up and you know exactly what your day is exactly. going to be. Exactly. And that's, that's
1: the beauty of the X-Alps as well, because then you're adding the competition component as well. And, you know, you, you've done all this training and that's training is, is, can be quite intense. And what I love about the training is it's very clear what the job is here. You know, there's no, there's no, Oh, should I train today? You, know, you got to train today and oh. you got to do it for all these months. And otherwise the race is going to be painful. It's going to hurt. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a masochist. I don't love pain. I don't love to feel that, you know, I, I, I'd like to avoid pain just like anybody else. Um, but you know, and during the race, you know, this was a big COVID year. We really didn't know if the race was even going to happen. You know, it was on, it was off. It was on, it was off. It was really hard to stay focused and to yeah. stay on point and just keep training. It's it, it might happen and we got to be ready. And, you know, but I, I think back on, on 2021 and, you know, for those 12 days of the race, there was no COVID, there was no anything. There was no, there was nothing except laughing with my team and keeping my head down and, and going as hard as I possibly could. Uh, and walking that very, sometimes very fine line between ending up in a hospital or worse and, and being okay. Uh, that's a special place to be. If you've trained for it, you know, if you're, if you're prepared for it and you make the right decisions, uh, you know that's a nice place to be. It's it, it, back to the simple thing. It's very simple. There's nothing else going on. There's no distractions. Uh, you know, there's in some ways there's nice distractions. I would you know when for some of the really really long walks I would have a FaceTime call with my daughter mm-hmm. or my wife and let them know what was going on. And you know th- those are those are sweet. And I, I don't I wouldn't give those up for anything. But uh, there's no distractions of the stuff that I think makes life more difficult.
0: Well, and when, when I hear you talk about the ex-Alps, um, one of the things that stands out to me and, you know, my husband and I were actively following you guys and the team and all the updates. It's so cool to see and kind of edge it, you know, we're on our, the edge of our seat. Um, <laughs> and What strikes me, and and you mentioned it a second ago, like your team is there, right? Your team, this is an incredibly challenging span of how many days?
1: 12 days, the race is 12 and a half days.
0: So, yeah, I mean, almost two weeks. And to me, it's like, okay, well, you've got your team, you've got your family. Like these are elements that make that challenge A little less difficult, right? And it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make, but it, but it's like those are the elements that's like, yeah, okay, this is why it's even possible.
1: Yeah, I didn't even mention that. That's the other. There's, there's all the reasons that that race is, is really amazing. It's the you know the the physical side's incredible so you 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 will get to that place and everybody who's listening to this who spends time outside or spends time training or spends time working out or running or it doesn't doesn't matter what it is you've gotten to that place in the race you're going to get there and you stay there for a long time you'll drop out of flow a little bit but you're 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 you get to a very cool headspace uh that's incredibly powerful that i can't get to doing anything else you know in all the training i might have little blips of it but uh you know you're you're in the zone let's call it and and then you're you're seeing this these beautiful countries from a completely different perspective. You know, you're, you're diving in and out of craggy peaks and over snow fields and glaciers. And, you know, the Alps are special and they're beautiful and, and you're, you're seeing it. You're racing through them, but you're seeing it, uh, every time has been different. I've done four and you're, you're always seeing, you know, you're flying days that you would never choose to wake up and look out the window and go paragliding, you're paragliding <laughs> days often, you know, so you're, you're seeing crazy morning glory and phone clouds and uh, it's spectacular. And the places you find yourself in are just, you know, I landed at over 3000 meters at one point on a snow field, snow, as far as I could see. And just, I just had to take a moment and go, whoa, this is where I am. Who's been up here? You know. <laughs> um, so there's, there's that. And then there's the competition aspect and the, you know, trying to beat other people. And so that's all good, but it would not, none of it compares even remotely to the team aspect. That's, that's the cherry on top. That's where it's just, it's unbelievable. Only of, of, of my team members, only Ben, my, He's he's been with me for all four, and you know he fought in Iraq, and so he's the only one of us that has military experience and um, and combat experience. But he he talks about it kind of you know it's it's different, obviously, and I don't mean to compare this in that way, but it's kind of like going to war you you were you're so reliant on your team and your team members and the love that you develop there is really deep mm-hmm. and and it's just outrageous fun right that i, I think that's maybe a choice that, you know i don't see some of the other teams maybe having as much fun um you know they're they're quite serious about it and we're serious we we we're going there to compete but mm-hmm. you know our our whole way of dealing with conflict, you know, kind of conflict resolution, because you know, mistakes add up and they're they are costly. And you know, I'm the one that makes the most, of course, but there's there's a lot of weight on everybody on the team. It's not just me. And you know, there's a lot of strategy and weather and all that kind of stuff that I'm not paying any attention to at all. They're very often they're saying, you know, you're going here, this is your next launch. They're picking all that out. So, you know, a mistake is hard on them. Um, But the our our way of dealing with everything everything in the race is humor and so we you know we'll we'll try to we'll talk about it what went wrong there laugh about it don't make the mistake again and let it go you know just throw that problem in the trash can it's gone never have to think about it again Uh, you know we might come back to it after the race when we have kind of the feedback dump but uh you know that again and again that humor that amount of laughing it's hard to repeat in real life i just you know that just kind of stomach you know just rolling laugh where you're just in absolute hysterics uh it happens to us it doesn't seem like that would be appropriate in that race but we do it a lot and you know it's a lot of fun and it 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 breaks up the stress of it and um but yeah and, you know it. i I feel like I'm talking about, again, simplicities, laughter, uh, and and physical exertion, and food, and sleep. That's basically what the, what the race is.
0: Yeah. So, and risking your life. Yeah, and risking your life. There's that. <laughs> so, I mean, what have you found? Because, I mean, I haven't been on as extreme of adventures as, as you have, but I've been on the... 10 days, you're out in the back country, like you're, you're surviving, you're figuring it out, right? There's no road to catch a taxi and, and get out of there. And it is um, it, it's addictive, right? You get into that yeah. zone, that flow, and it is a beautiful space. And then you kind of come back. Okay. Now we have to go back to real life. And I, What's your view? I mean, like what from those experiences, because obviously life happens and we all have responsibilities and and jobs and families and bills to pay and things like that. But like, what have you found of bringing those elements of the simplicity of the adventures, the competitions into real life, into more of everyday living?
1: So what i try and what i do are different and you know if i'm just being honest uh what i try to bring back from all these adventures and partly just to let your listeners know you know i spent almost 15 years at sea so i I circumnavigated i always say twice because it's just easier to say that but it was a proper circumnavigation and then the other one was I mileage, My way more than a circumnavigation, but we only got about three quarters away around the world. But we spent a lot of time in the South Pacific and Southeast Asia. But, you know, so it's, the reason I bring that up is I don't, I've been on very few, few vacations in my life. I have tried to build my life around what I want to do. And so mm-hmm. uh, that's how I've, my businesses and that's how I've made a living is from doing adventure, not working and then going on an adventure. So they've kind of been separate. but from all those years of doing that, like you said, the reason I did and it started with that trip in Bolivia is you know I, I didn't make it that year. I was down there, there for a month and I thought, what am I doing? I'm wasting my life and I came back and I got a job and and uh, uh, I got a job in the day, I got a job at night, I lived in a basement you know, I was just all about, I have to make a living now. And I got a dog and I, you know, I just immediately became domesticated. It was just, I came back from South America and domesticated myself and was totally miserable. And, uh, and that's a whole nother story in itself, but leaving that company was really the start of life for me. I, I got the most incredible um, insight and advice from my boss there when I quit, who just let me go. It was just, you know, listen, go Gavin. If you don't go, you're going to end up like me and you'll have lots of money. And, you know, they were going to buy me a house and all this stuff. It was, it was just really traumatic, but very freeing experience. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, but back to the point that all these adventures and the expeditions and, and living this style of life. I'm just like anybody else. I, I come back to bills and payments and life and relationships and all the stuff um, that can be quite messy. And what I tried to do that I'm not always successful doing is just be grateful, be grateful for all those moments and, you know, use them in my mind when I need them. Mm-hmm. And you know, try to just dwell on the on the reality that I've been incredibly fortunate and lucky, and uh, you know, burned a lot of nine lives over and over again, and still walking around. And so, I you know, we have a gratitude practice in our, in our house, uh, every, every night at dinner, we say, you know, what are you grateful for today? And it took my daughter, she's four a while to get into this, but now she's always got the best ones and she goes first and (laughs) it's so precious. And, you know, to, it, it helps me hear what she's grateful for, because it brings me back to, this doesn't need to be, we can be grateful for really simple things. And, you know, we're breathing. That's something to be grateful for. And, uh, so I don't know if that resonates with you at all, but it's, it's, or I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, that's what I try to do. And I'm human and I fail at that. And, you know, the, the right now I'm, I'm building a house and I'm in charge of the whole thing and life since this race, you know, this, the race was this June, early July has been pretty mundane. It's been, mm-hmm you know, banging nails and you know, it's kind of a dream and it's my place. It's yeah, it's something I've always wanted to do. But there's been a lot of times where I'm pretty grumpy and I I have to kind of reset and talk to my wife and and uh, you know, hey, I could use a little help with just being grateful about this. You know, I could use a little help by, you know, can you remind me that I've had a really good life? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is okay. This is okay to wait a uh, way for me to spend my time and not be on some adventure. Uh, so it is addictive. Uh, it is incredibly selfish. That's something I've, I have grappled with, especially, you know, as I get older that just that, you know, these are very time consuming, selfish pursuits uh, often, uh, often they're expensive. Um, and so I should be grateful for them and not everybody gets to do that. And so, yeah, I, that's what I try. am not sure that was a very good answer.
0: No, I mean, it's um, it, it resonates so much. And I think it, it's a, it's, it, it's interesting to me how short our human memories are. Right. Mm. Because, and, and, and for each of us living our lives, I think it's sort of the fish in water, the fish doesn't know he's in water sort of thing. Like, so you are living your life. And, and, I, and I really just affirm how much you do have sort of the awareness of how amazing all these experiences are that you get to go on, like the expeditions that you've done and the 4 X ex-Alps and countless other things, right? That we won't even get to touch on in this conversation. The fact that you have that awareness And you are able in the times where life just feels really mundane and boring and you're kind of grouchy and, you know, whatever, you know, that you can step back and be like, hey, can you remind me that I've got a really good life? Because I think for each of us, even even living a very different life than you're living, I I resonate with that where there are moments where I'm just like, I hate everything and my life is sucks. And it's like, "No, no, no, hold on a second. I'm breathing. Mm-hmm. right you know and and for me i lost my first husband when i was 28 so even just the whole i'm breathing thing has a, a relevance where you're like mm-hmm. i'm breathing right and there's yeah. too many people out there who way too soon you know we're not and and of course in 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 your life you've got a lot of people you know who have lost their life sooner than should have right oh yeah and totally. and so there is a sense of i think very real gratitude that that practice is, is, is very meaningful and not, not easy to do.
1: It's not easy to do. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people talk about mindfulness and meditation and, you know, I'm a big Sam Harris fan and I do his waking up app every night and I, you know, I meditate and I got monkey mind. Like you just can't, you know, like nobody else. I've been doing it for years, you know, working on this for years. It's not easy. Um, and I, I, have to, I don't even know if it helps, you know, it helps me go to sleep, but yeah, it, it, it's absolutely not easy, but I think it's, I think awareness of, how fortunate you are is a, that's a big step. That that's a that's a huge step. That you know we are incredibly fortunate people, and travel helps that. I spent, like I said, fifteen years sailing around the world. I over a hundred countries, and we you know we spent a lot of time in places like Madagascar and Mozambique and where you are, Sri Lanka, and. Um, you know, you only have to walk around these places for a little while to realize a couple things. One is often, you know, what we define as success is, doesn't seem to work very well with, you know, I I have seen people that seem a lot more joyful than what I see in New York and San Francisco and people walking down the streets or driving their Tesla, that kind of thing. And I'm not knocking any of that. I'm just saying, you know, the I, you know, I've spent time in communities in Tonga and Fiji and who by relative standards have nothing. And yet they seem to have everything, you know, they're awful happy and their communities are awful sound. And, um, there's just, there's a community spirit there, you know, the house, we don't have fences and space and, and, you know, we're not trying to wall each other off, from, they're not trying to wall each other off from one another. Um, So, but at the same, what I'm also saying is, you know, I, I've seen some pretty raw poverty uh in many places in the world. And, you know, it, I think that's a good thing to get some perspective. It helps to go, you know, uh I don't need to work as hard. I don't need that next car i don't need to you know i don't need more i've already got way more than 99 of the world um so that helps uh, perspective uh, helps uh constantly pushing back towards simplicity helps mm-hmm. gratitude's a big one uh and and like i said i, I hope that's not cliche it's not one of these things that you just hear all the time these days you know like I said, it's something we've had to manually put into our lives. We have to, you know, we have to do this. We have to, we forget and we miss a week. And then, you know, but it's something that it takes a while to create a habit, doesn't it? And, Mm -hmm. and, but it's, I do feel it's, we need these little shots of goodness uh, from time to time to kind of snap us back to, I guess it's snapping back to reality, but it's, you know, we need these little shots of, whatever that gives you a little bit of endorphin hit and, and it helps to just get that perspective. Gosh, my four-year-old's really grateful for uh, her friend in
0: preschool today. Yes. That's nice. That's a nice thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So kids perspective. I mean, it really, they are fantastic teachers and they really do kind of bring us back around to the most important things, which often are those very simple things.
1: Yeah. I read something, this is going to be totally wrong, but just recently I I read something about how, how often kids laugh compared to adults. And it's, it's a, it's a massive multiplier. I can't remember. You know, they laugh 150 times a day or something, you know, we laugh 10 maybe or none. Um, (laughs) And yeah, not funny. You know, they, they find humor in everything. And so they are good teachers. Uh, yeah, I think it's good to contemplate on that a little bit. Life's well, pretty it, damn funny.
0: It is. <laughs> and it's and sometimes we just have to not take ourselves so seriously. Right.
1: Yes. I, yeah.
0: uh, I, you know, the whole fisherman story, you know, the, there's the,
1: the, you know, rich guy goes to an island and he meets a fisherman and uh, and he says, you know what, you can I'm going to butcher this, but, you know, you you can if you work a little bit harder, you can get another boat and a couple more employees and catch more fish. And then, you know, he kind of lays it all out for him. And and the fisherman's kind of, well, and then what? (laughs) And uh, he's, well, you'd have more money. He said, well, right now, uh, you know, I fish a couple hours a day. I nap several times a day. I have sex with my wife and life's pretty good. (laughs) and uh you know the the Goldman Sachs guy is just baffled you know like what that doesn't that doesn't work that's not what you're supposed to be doing and so I guess my I'm constantly trying to be that fisherman (laughs) I want to be that fisherman I want to be okay with you know we don't need to do more today we gotta let's just chill out uh let's let's take a nap and be okay with it yeah
0: when, when you think about your own personality and your drive, um, you know, and I think back to your story of going to Bolivia right after college, you wanted it, you wanted it to be a challenge. You wanted it to be hard. Where did, where do you see that coming from? Was it sort of family environment that your parents kind of had that perspective too? Was it, is it personality? Like, where does that come from for you?
1: So. Uh, I think two places mostly. And the, the one that I didn't have any control over was my, my mom has always told me that there was just, I got into ski racing when I was really young and my mom, my mom and dad divorced when I was six. And so, you know, my mom said that, you know, not picking me up from school at 2.30 or wherever it was, you know, I was able to get out of PE and something else. I I went to a normal, just a public school. So it wasn't built around creating ski racers. Um, But from, I I joined the Heavenly Valley Blue Angels, that was the name of the team when I was six years old. And and she said, not picking me up every day, you know, Monday through Friday, and then taking me, and also then of course the weekends was just not an option. It was just, I couldn't fight you about that. It was just, you just That was the law, and she said I was just so driven. So I don't think at six years old there was a lot of genetics there, or nurturing, or something that had happened that had turned me into that. So, so partly I think yes, it was in me for for whatever reason because it's not so much in my sister. So I, I don't know where I don't know where that came from. The other side is when I look back on this. I mean, I haven't done this through a therapist or anything, but it would be interesting to do so. But I, I think a lot of it was my father. For my father, nothing was ever good enough. Um, and both my parents are products of the Depression, in a sense. You know, my dad was born in 42. Um, so just coming out of the Depression and World War II. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was a very different time. And, you know, he used to wear a shirt that said, he who dies with the most toys wins. You know, the opposite of everything I've just been saying on this podcast. I mean, his his whole credo was making money. And uh, and for whatever reason, I, you know, pretty early on, I didn't think too much to that plan. I didn't. I, I just saw he, he was an incredibly eccentric, brilliant person. Um, but and, and he was my best friend forever. I mean, we were very, very, very close. Uh, but he, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't jive with that way of living. I didn't get it. Um, but what he did definitely instill in me is that, you know, is more, 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 uh, you know, for me, it has not been money. I've never really chased money, but it has been doing stuff and succeeding, I guess. Uh, I just put that in air quotes for your listeners, but, you know, I, I've been trying to beat that my whole life because I, you know, I, he talks about a dream that he has when he was pretty close to you. Cancer got him, but when he was in kind of his final years, uh, he, you know, he and I were, we went head to head on this whole, he just could not understand why I wasn't, you know, pursuing money. And, you know, to him, that equated to happiness. To him, that equated to, again, depression era, World War II. That was just, that's what you had, that's what you're supposed to do,
0: yeah.
1: is make a living. And uh, it drove him crazy that I wasn't more into that, you know, that I pursued adventure. And, you know, when I gave up that, the job I told you about, when I quit that job, it was here in Boise, it was in Idaho, it was right after out of college, you know, the writing was on the wall there. If I'd stayed with that company, I was going to be very, very, very wealthy and, Mm -hmm. and live a very, very, very mundane life. There there was, you know, chip manufacturers, technology company. um, And, you know, all it was just, I woke up in the morning, went to work and I went to bed and I have just worked constantly. And it wasn't very long, it was six months, but it was, it was the kind of thing where, you could see where it was going. There was a huge potential there, a small company that was on the cusp of greatness. And uh, when I quit that, he flew over here for, he lived in Seattle at the time and just begged me not to quit. What are you doing? What are you doing? And, you know, and I I view that as the most important decision I've ever made in my life was, was quitting was, was leaving that job. And so anyway, so he and I really butted heads on on all of that. And then very late in his life, he he said, Gavin, I've I've had this terrible nightmare the last three nights. And uh and he said it was always the same, same dream nightmare every night that he was laying in bed and the phone, it was one of those old phones with the you know rotary dial. And he would, it would ring. And the first night he didn't answer because he knew it was his mom and dad on the other end of the line. Knew it. He just knew he was going to pick up, and it was going to be his mom and dad. Second night has the same dream. Doesn't pick up. Terrified of picking up the phone. Third night. Okay, all right. I got to talk to my mom and dad. And he had a very tough relationship with his mom and dad. And uh, he picked up the phone, and it was it was his mom and his dad. And they said, "Jackie." His name was Jack. They called him Jackie. Jackie, it's okay. And he went, "What do you mean it's okay?" And he said, it's okay. You don't need the money. Just, you know, back off. Wow. Click. That was it. And it was, he would cry when he'd tell the story. It was, it was wow. that intense for him. It was just, basically it was, you have fucked up your whole life. You've chased money the whole time and stop that you you're, you're get the message was basically how he was taking it. And ah. and it was it was in a strange way, you know, it was it wasn't very direct, but what I took from it is he was telling me, it's okay. What you're doing is actually better than what I've done. And mm. keep doing. Um, so not that I've got things figured out. I don't, but but it was, it was kind of uh, I was reassuring. It was him putting his arm on my shoulder and saying, you know, you know, Gab, it's all right.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really powerful. And, 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 you know, I don't know if I'm reading into this correctly or not, but it sounds like he probably didn't have the language to say that to you directly. And so this no, dream was did. his, his way to be able to say that, which is, which is really cool and impactful.
1: Yeah. He was dad at the very end. You know, he really saw it as his job to, you know, to teach me about life and, Um, you know, he'd been through some pretty crazy things. I guess guess you'd say bad things, but he was also incredibly lucky and very successful. And, um, but he had an attitude about people that was pretty toxic and, you know, he was a real estate guy and it was all about winning and winning means somebody else is losing in that game. And, um, and so, yeah, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and that was hard for him you know, now you're my son, you should be doing this stuff. Uh, Anyway, I can't remember where we started that off with, but it was, uh, yeah, it was instructive.
0: Yeah, no, and I mean, I think it's interesting just kind of seeing how the dynamics between parents and kids are so interesting, right? Like where we get our drive from, and some of it, it's like part, part of your drive was matched, right your dads it's just you guys were driving for different things, you know, but yes. that drive that passion was there and i and I think it's probably I'm not a parent, but you know you're a parent, and if you have i don't I don't know that you cannot have hopes and dreams for your kids, and then when they choose something that's not what you envisioned for them that that can be challenging, right?
1: Yes, I mean, all we, all the parents that I know, we all say, you know, they're going to be who they're going to be, and that we're going to yeah. let them do what they want to do. But uh, when it comes down to it, yeah, for sure, that's that's hard stuff. It really you want to do that, or really <laughs> you want to date that person, or you know, that's going to be tough. I mean, she's four. Luckily, I'm not dealing with that stuff yet. But yeah, it'll um, be here soon. <laughs> yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it was so you reminded me of the question, the original question, you know, I, part of it, I guess was genetics. I don't know. And part of it was how I was nurtured, you know, how I was, how I was brought into the world. My mom was, uh, kind of a funny similar story with her. my mom was very much, you know, she was grow grew up in that era and her business, her whole life, she's a travel incentive travel director. So that's if, you know, if you work for PG and E and, uh, or any big company and you do really well and they send you to Hawaii for a week. Right. So she's the ground, she'll run the ground operations for uh, companies that do that. So she's freelanced her whole life and she's been everywhere. Literally she's been everywhere. So she's done a ton of travel. And, but to her, she saw all these people who worked for big corporations that were really successful. Holy cow. They're going to send you on a trip to Cape town. You know for a week. That's mm-hmm. that's living. That's a good time. And so she, you know, she just for me it was, you know, you've got to get uh Ivy League education and get a house and a white picket fence and you know very much the 60s, 70s dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um and again, I wanted nothing to do with that. I I wanted to be a ski racer and uh, drove her nuts. I didn't care about school. I didn't want to go to college. Uh, I did end up going to college. But you know, back when I was ski racing, it was just that's all that mattered to me was ski racing drove her crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so, and I have a similar story. I won't tell that one. But I have a similar story with her just kind of, you know, was backpacking mm-hmm. with her down in Australia, where she relinquished all that. And, you know, we were sitting under the stars looking at the sky and I was rubbing her feet cause they, were, she was so sore. I'd taken her on, you know, a backpacking trip. that was way beyond where she, her level was and, uh, you know, smoked my mom and, uh, <laughs> and she just kind of went, Whoa, mm-hmm. I'm wrong. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, you know, that I think the nurture thing is, is a big part of it, but, um, it's funny how we make you know we kind of make our own choices along the way and you know you you can you can kind of look back at your life can't you and paint these little these big wow that was a huge decision point you know leaving Mm -hmm. that company in Boise when I was 22 massive if I hadn't done that I'd probably still be there you know Mm -hmm. and my life would look nothing like it does right now and so um you know I I often look at others other people's lives who are really going through a lot of struggle and you can kind of map it back to that was that decision you mm-hmm. made that was not a good decision and i i think if we kind of meditate on yvonne on chanard and you know for those of you who are listening who aren't very familiar with him read his book let my people go surfing uh that was literally my Bible for a long time when it came to business. I had this kite surfing expedition business for a long time. I still kind of have it, but it's, uh, it's, you know, when we were starting that up and didn't know anything about what we were doing, you know, every time it came to a decision point, I just kept thinking, oh what I do. I would just use his, his, him as my touchstone. What would Yvonne do? Mm. And that made it really clear He would not care about the money and he would make the right decision. He would make the decision that was better for the planet and better for his people and his employees. And, you know, the company is either going to survive or it's not. And, uh, and every time he's done that, he writes in the book, his company just makes more and more and more money. They do better and better and better by doing the right thing all the time, you know? Uh, so
0: I think it's good for us to have touchstones like that absolutely and it brings me back to the simplicity right like when you yeah. are in re- the clarity when you're really clear on what's important to you what are your values and then if you're building running a business keep that business aligned with that and and having that touchstone to keep coming back to um, it's not easy right because there's going to there's always going to be lots of distractions lots of different opportunities, lots of other people who want different things for us Mm. that Mm. can be tempting, right? Because they could be nice, good, positive things, but are they aligned? And having that place to come back to and ask, it's like, well, I mean, it is like a way to make it a little less difficult. Nope, like here's here's my true north and I'm going to come back to it every time and honor it. And I think that's really valuable. Mm. Yeah, I think
1: it's good. I think one of the reasons I like, um, you know, stuff, stuff like the Alaska thing or, or, or the X-Alps. Um, yeah, I I think it's good for us to be paired back to the basics on a pretty regular basis and realize that there really are only a few things we actually need. Uh, and beyond that is just, it should just be a bonus. And so if you're not thinking about it as a bonus, then you're, you're, you're adrift Mm. and, you know, I think it's, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing to, to, uh, walk around in nature and, and be totally have to be totally self-reliant. You know, you're the only one that's going to save you is you. And the only thing you need is what's on your back. And if you get really good at it, you don't even need that. I used to work with a guy at Outward Bound who was, you know, uh, one of these, he he built a canoe. He he went to wood building or boat building school, and he built he hand built a, a canoe wow. and got in it one day in Bellingham and paddled to Glacier Bay, Alaska, with oh. nothing. He had a knife, <laughs> so he 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 carved yeah. a canoe out of a tree and got in it and to see what it would be like. Yeah. He just kept going, you know. So he was one of these primitive skills experts, wow. yeah. And that's a pretty rainy part of the world. He yes. didn't have a tarp. He didn't have a jacket. I mean, he, he, he went full native and, um, and had one of the greatest adventures of his life. You know, So we don't need that much. Um, and that's pretty, it's, I mean, imagine how empowering that was for him when he got back six months later and went, I just lived for six months with no money with no and with no tools. I had a knife. And, uh, you know, he caught fish and he figured it out. And um, that's pretty powerful. I spend a lot of time with uh, this guy named Ken McDonald up in Alaska, who's a bush pilot up there. You know, they live off the grid. His kids are just unbelievable. Um, And, you know, they're 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 fascinating people, but he you know he's a bush pilot mechanic. So when it's dark in the winter, it's, it's dark up there for three months a year, and you don't see the light too much. That's when he works. and he makes about 45, 50 grand a year, um, you know, putting a couple planes back together and doing some maintenance and stuff for other planes because in the in the winter, people don't fly up there that much. It's too cold. and uh, and most people are up there in the summers, and so he 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 builds a couple planes and puts them together, and then, nine months out of the year, he just plays with his kids and, and lives off the land and grows food. And I mean, if you, anybody went to go visit him, you'd go, this dude is winning. This is what an amazing life. Look how simple it is. You know, he went to school for a couple of years out of college to learn how to fix airplanes. He makes 50 grand a year, which is way more than they need. Mm -hmm. Um, And They've got an awesome gig. He lives exactly where he wants to live and he does exactly what he wants to do. And, you know, a moose walks by once a year and he shoots that and he's got a you know freezer full of meat. And uh and they just they're that family just goes from one adventure to another to another to another year round. Yeah. And they just they're just living in the woods in Alaska and pretty simple to do that, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah and what strikes me as you're sharing that story right not not everybody is going to be tempted to go live off grid no. right
1: no it's pretty it's pretty pretty brutal up there too i'm not i haven't i didn't throw that in there it's cold
0: <laughs> yeah you know it, and yet i think it's really valuable for us each one of us to come back to this point of okay what do i actually need and and realize how simple and short that list is And then shift to, okay, well, I have these other things which I like and they're bonuses, right? And so if I don't make as much money or if I can't buy the toys or I can't do the trip, okay, well, that's going to be disappointing, but keep coming back to this short list of what I actually need. And and then it just gives a different view of everything else versus constantly trying to work and accumulate and get more things and be in competition with other people. It's like, no, no, no. Here's the, here's, here's the list of what we need. Everything else is bonus.
1: Lisa, here's the secret uh, that when you were just saying that here's the secret, uh, and not the secret to life, but things that bring real fundamental enjoyment, you know, just, just Ah, moments. I mean, aren't we all just seeking moments when we think back Mm -hmm. on our life? There's, there's moments that you can go. That time, you know, I was sitting at Bondi Beach in Australia, just sitting there, and whoa, that. I I still remember that day. So we have these moments, right? To get those moments is pretty close to free. You know, it's supping on a lake at sunset. It's, you know, there are so many things that cost almost nothing that. That we, uh, for me, it's always nature uh, that does it, but nature's free. Um, and, you know, getting out for a walk is that's the, I mean, we all talk about that, that you've know, had a really hard day, we can't find the solution. How do you find the solution? You go for a walk, and yep. going for a walk is free. Um, and so, you know, that to me is one of the most frustrating things and also kind of life affirming things that would happen to me all those years on the boat. So this was like just a brief overview of what this was. It's still going. It's called the Cabrina Quest. So it's a 60 foot catamaran that we slowly take around the world and it works like a timeshare. It's for kite surfers. So we, we sup and dive and, you know, we do all the things related to ocean, but it's, but all of our clients are, are mostly kite surfers. That's what this, so we follow the trade rent around the world mm-hmm. and it is, it's not cheap. You come out there for 10 days, all the trips are 10 days. And we go to really amazing and remote places. You know, we don't spend a lot of time in the Caribbean. We don't spend a lot of time in the med. You know, we go to places, like I said earlier, Madagascar and Sri Lanka and Myanmar and Thailand and stuff. And, you know, right now she just ran the Cape of good hope and she's on her way up to the Cape Verde's. Nice. And so, you know, I would, I'm kind of a storyteller and I was the captain. And so when people came out, you know, the, the circumnavigation that I ran, you know, the first year all these clients you're meeting them for the first time Mm -hmm. and you know, how did you have the faith in us to give us all this money to buy this boat? You know, we we, we sold that thing without a boat. We sold these timeshares to people <laughs> we didn't even own the boat yet. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a remarkable story about how we raised the, we didn't have any money. We raised the money to buy the boat. And then we, you know, we promised all these people who didn't know us except through the internet um, that we would sail them around the world for five years. And, you know, so these people would come out and, <clears throat> You would see this incredible transformation take place especially the first the, in the beginning years we didn't have internet on the boat and so um but you know back then i i didn't even have a cell phone but you know facebook and twitter and all this stuff that that was just becoming a thing this was 2006 to 2011 was the one i ran and like i said the boat's still going but you know, now we have broadband, it's very expensive, but, you know, back, back in the day we didn't have, you know, we had really, really, really slow email at best through a satellite system. And so, you know, you would just see these people come out and that line back to home and back to social media, that would be severed. And then they would, you know, they would get, in other words, they would get more and more there every day. They would get more on board, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would just, you know, spend more time in the ocean, spend more time talking to people, spend more time playing, playing cards. And it was, it was, you could see this kind of semi-transformation take place. And, you know, it was, it was for many people, the experience of their lives. Uh, And we heard that over and over again, just how grateful they were and how appreciative they were. And mostly, especially for the people who really had a ton of money, they couldn't believe that they could do something like that for the amount of money they were spending. Now, to Mm -hmm. me, it would be I would, I would never be able to afford this, but, um, but for them, it was, it was about the price of a really expensive hotel. Uh, and you're getting a sail around the world and learn all this stuff and free dive and spearfish and kite surf and places that no one had ever done it. You know, that we we so many places were virgin that had never been kited before. So it was wow. it really special. It was it really wow. neat. Right. Um, but I would hear inevitably at some point in the thing, I wish I could do this. And I'd go, you can what yeah i did this with 186 bucks when we executed on that we we had 186 dollars. i didn't have a car i didn't have a bike i didn't have anything i was couch surfing when we executed on you know when we went when we got the money to buy the boat wow. we were couch surfing literally and and uh and i would go you you work for goldman sachs <laughs> Yeah. you could, you could buy this boat and you could sail around the world and not do, I mean, we're working, man, we're taking care of you. And this yeah. is a job and it's hard, but you could just do it. You could just buy a boat and give up on all that crap that you're chasing and have one for three <laughs> years, five years, as long as you want forever. You don't ever need to go back to work again. And, uh, and I would say it just like that. I go, what you, what do you mean? You wish you could do what I'm doing, you know? And uh, and that blew me away. And some of those people took that to heart. And you know, I had a guy from England who was big time banking, and now works for the World Wildlife Foundation. You mm. know, he's he's just donating his time. So that's pretty cool. That's but very the cool. the point of the, the point of the story is that you know that again, it's perspective, and it's yeah. you know. For very little money, relatively to what, you know, these kind of people spend money on, they could come out there and have kind of a life-changing experience. Um, and you don't need that much money to do it. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you don't need that much time to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's really important is, uh, man, get off the wheel and you know get off the hamster wheel here and uh take a look around it it, i don't know it's not my you know people will often through whatever through social media or something they'll see the adventures and the um the expeditions and the time that i have invested into all this and uh and you know i can feel it i could i could see you know oh that he's so lucky they should it's, it's crazy how little I spend on doing this. I don't have to make very much money to do this. Um, and now I, I don't want to be arrogant either. I, again, you know, I'm not from a village in Madagascar. I get that. I'm super thankful. And I'm not comparing to any of those things. And I realize that people have responsibilities and jobs and that kind of thing. But, you know, I, I guess if it's not work and change it, because yeah. it's, life is short. That's what I'm really running up against now is, you know, I'm 49, I'll be 50 in April. Holy smokes, it goes fast. That yeah. blows my mind that it's gone this fast. And so, man, you're going to wake up one day and wish, and then you're not going to have the health or the, you know, you're not going to have what you could have done it with if you'd done it 20 years ago. So again, that's a Yvonne thing. Read that book. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that strikes me is like, if you're going to do it and you're going to put in that time and then, then do that by choice, not feeling like I have to, I can't do something else like that, that mentality of being stuck. I'm like, no, no, no. Like we, and again, there's exceptions to this in, in different parts of the world, but for the vast majority of us in the Western world, like being stuck is not really being stuck. Like we may not like the choices in front of us. We may not like the consequences if we choose different things, but stepping away you've made from them. that stuck. take
1: ownership of it. Yeah. yeah. You've made them. You, yeah. If you feel stuck, you're the one to put you there. Um, yeah. and, and yeah, I mean, change it. There's, there's, I, I talk to my sister about this all the time. You know, she's she's a journalist for NPR. She's uh, you know, a reporter. She's just, she's awesome. Super smart. And her husband's from Mexico and he's an amazing cook just mm. off the hook. And he works for capital one. And sorry, guys, if you end up listening to this, I'm going to bash you a little bit, but you know, every Christmas they come out here and, and cause they, he's had this idea to get a food truck, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and they live they live in Oakland. They live in a place where a food truck if you do, if done right, you can do really 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 well. Yes. But he's also doing something he loves. He hates working for Capital One. can't stand it. He's been there for years, decades, right I mean and for some reason he won't get the food truck and It drives me nuts because I, Carlos how much is it okay it's a 100 grand tell you what, I'll lend you the damn money, right? And go get the food. What's the worst that can happen? Those two save every penny they have. They have a lot of money, say, put away. You know, she's a reporter. She doesn't make that much money. But they both, they've saved everything. They have all this cash, right? They don't, they're too afraid to invest it. They're too afraid to do anything else with it. So they've got all this cash. So, you know, I always say when what's the worst that can happen that that's the that's a mantra that should be in everybody's world that you know what is the worst that can happen here okay so let's run let's run it through you quit your job you buy the food truck the food truck fails you sell the food truck for eighty you you've lost twenty thousand dollars pursuing your dream that's not that bad that that, that there's a way back from that if you want to go back to if this teaches you that you love capital one not gonna do that, but if it teaches you it <laughs> you're gonna go back to Capital One, you're a good dude, you work well, they want good people. You, you can go yep. get this job that you hate anywhere, yes. you can work for <laughs> anybody and do a job that you hate, right? So so it, it's just insane. It's insane
0: that he maybe, doesn't
1: do a food truck. It's maybe insane. this
0: conversation here, Gavin, will convince them. That, that he really can make life a little less difficult by going for that. <laughs>
1: I hope so. I hope so. But it, it it won't, you know, because people want security. They want safety. They want to wake up. knowing. And it, it, it's crazy. It's so yeah. stupid. And, and it's, it drives me nuts because this is his dream. He would love it. He'd be so good at it. And if he yeah. wasn't, if he did suck, then great. You've learned something. You've started your own business. Yeah. Um, you've met some neat people along the way and, and you're out 20 grand. Yeah. Pretty good time. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good mistake, you know? And so when when we did the boat thing, this is, this is, this is important. It's really good to have nothing to lose. Mm. And when we start acquiring things, we have stuff to lose. And but when you've been in a place where you don't have anything to lose, when you acquire stuff, you don't care about that stuff. And yeah. I don't care about this stuff. I literally, a fire could come through here and burn this place down. I don't care. I, we, we will be fine, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not because of the money or that kind of thing. It's just, it's just stuff. I don't yeah. care about stuff. So when we started that boat business, you know, we were in Thailand. I had a previous boat before that. I sold it. When I paid off all the debt, I had $35,000. So we thought, okay, with this $35,000, we're going to create a website. We're going to move back to the United States. and get all our stuff back there, you know, our kite gear and that kind of thing. And we're going to chase this dream of starting what became the Cabrina Quest, which is now, we're going to give it a year. All of our time, all of our effort, all of our money, we're willing to blow $35,000, which is all we had on this dream. And like mm-hmm. I said, a year later, we were down to 186 bucks. And was that scary? Any of those things? No, it was just, it's 35 grand. If I if I needed a job, if I needed to replenish that, I go get a, a job on a super yacht, running a boat. I had the skills. I'd already been a captain for many, many years. I could go get the job that I hate for yeah. six months and work. And I, 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 that would be my worst case scenario. Worst case scenario was, I go get a job that pays pretty well running somebody else's super yacht. Yeah, I, mean, I, I skipper and,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then, uh, and, and build up a little cash and then try another dream. Right. Yep. I mean, I didn't have a dog. I didn't have a house. I didn't, I didn't, there's nothing to lose except yeah. 35 grand. And yeah. so, um, and it turned into the greatest adventure of my life. Uh, it was 15 years sailing around the ocean on other people's money. They paid for it you know, it wasn't my money. It was their money that paid for me to go have this crazy adventure. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the point is if you have nothing to lose, man, the world is your oyster. And so I think we get way too protective of stuff that we can lose. And again, it comes back to that. You don't need that much. You really don't. And, um, I see people do that all the time. You know, you get a little bit, you, you make 20 more grand, you just spend 25 more grand. You know, it's, it's you're just never quite there. A uh, good friend of my dad's used to always say, yeah, when I get the 20 million, then I can retire. <laughs> what? <laughs> he was a real estate developer. I mean, at the time he had $4 million cash in the bank. Guess what he has now? Totally broke. He has nothing. He's um... living in a van. He lost all of it chasing Uh, the 20 million. He wanted to have the private jet like his buddies had, you know? And I used to go, Randy, you live in Seattle. You got this huge place. You got all this debt and all this overhead. You got $4 million in the bank. If you sold this place and took that cash and went to Mexico, you live like a king for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. It's so easy. This is such Mm -hmm. an easy equation. No, 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 no. I get the private jet. Yeah, well, it's, and it's crazy. Back to these decisions, right? It's back yeah. to making decisions that you just—you can paint, you can draw the line right back to where it started. See that? And you know, he—he's still a very good friend of mine. We—we we laugh about it all the time. See, man, you should have taken my advice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, and you mentioned it a few minutes ago, but like people worry about. Well, what if this happens? And I be- i really believe in playing out the worst-case scenario game. Where you ask yourself, honestly, okay, well, what if that happened? What would I do? And, and yeah. what I run into from my own life when I start to worry about the what if is, oh, well, if that happened, then I would do this. And then I would call that person and they would help me. And well, if that happened, and, and next thing you know, like you run out of excuses because you can run out all the worst case scenarios and realize I'd be okay.
1: It's a really good exercise to go through, isn't it? And it's yeah. it's, it's, it, it's very very powerful. And and luckily, I think it's also good to surround yourself with people who think similarly. My wife's the same way. She she you know, whenever we come to a big decision is okay, what if this doesn't work out? What's the worst? And mm-hmm. you know, that's hard for me because I'm an eternal optimist. I always think everything is going to work out. <laughs> but it's a good exercise to go through. It really is. Yeah. It's it's truly you know, she she had uh, a few years ago. She sold a place in, in Salt Lake, had a little bit of money from that, and decided to start buying. This was during the recession, and she started buying these bank repo, really low end houses where she's from, a little mm-hmm. town in Idaho called Pocatello. And she, you know, she did the same thing. She, okay, what's the worst that can happen here? Worst that can happen is I got to move back in with mom. I wouldn't be that great, you know, living in the basement, but I got a place to live. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy this place and then I'm going to buy another place and I'm going to buy another place. And these were all, you know, $20,000 little homes that have been rented every day since. And mm-hmm. they're great income earners. They're mindless. You know, she doesn't have to do anything as a property management company. And uh, I mean, it's textbook how to create, uh, you know, assets and a little bit of wealth and very low stress. And it was the same approach. What's the worst that can happen here? You know, and I think it's a good thing to, again, it's a nice touchstone just reach back every once in a while and go and run the, run the full gamut. What run, what's the worst thing that can go down here. And usually it's not that bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So Gavin, I have one more question. And and if you don't want to go down this, this path, uh, just let me know. But I'm curious, you mentioned a, a few minutes ago about coming up on 50 in April and um, started the conversation, you know, you referred to it at the end of this last X-Alps, you were like, this is my last one. Like, and, and now here you oh are God. six months later. And, and it's not a surprise to me, <laughs> even though I don't know you that well, <laughs> that you're like, oh, you know, like, there's another one out there. And, um, and I'm just curious, like, it, I, I think this is a very real challenge in life as we age. And especially those of us who like to push ourselves and, and have the, the physical and mental challenges that come with some of the outdoor adventures and sports and stuff. I mean, what's your take on this? Like, what, what are some ways to make this journey uh a little less difficult what are some of the things you're factoring in as you consider like is it another X alps in 23 you know things like what what's what's mm. going through your mind on these things
1: that's so hard lisa that you know and i've been at this place about now you know it's about six months post trauma from the race, um, in each one, you know, when I did the first one in 2015, I, I never, you know, during the whole training, I thought this is one and done. I'll never do this again. This is crazy. And then I did the race and it was, I was thinking about the next one, the 2017, the race happens every two two years during the race. I was just I can't wait to do this again. (laughs) Um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I don't have a very good answer for you. the, you know, I know that what drives my desire to do it again is ego. And I desperately want to separate myself from that and get rid of that. And that's, you know, I work on that with meditation and other things, and I just fail at it miserably. So uh, I, I would like to give you a nice answer wrap it up like a present and give it to you as a gift. And and but I haven't figured it out I if I did it again and that would anybody listening who's you know on my team or just going oh my god here we go again (laughs) but uh you know if I did it again the the approach would have to be considerably different you know I I am not at an age I just physically I can't Keep up with the twenty-year-olds. You know, it's impossible. I can't be a Benoit who just runs all day every day. I I, I've never been that person. I don't. I don't have the knees. I've had nine knee surgeries. I, you know, I don't. I can go uphill like a madman forever, but I can't run on pavement. And so, um, you know, there are skills there that I've been left behind in that race. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I was kind of left behind when I started in 2015. I mean, when I was 44 then. So, you know, I, I came to this kind of too late to ever be really competitive and unfortunately in my first one i did quite well i i, I was eighth, and i was the first american that, that had ever gotten there and i completed the course which is unusual it was 11 completion rate in that race so that gave me just enough of a oh my god you're good at this to yeah. keep chasing it and each one i've placed well i've placed worse and worse but average over, you know, this last one, I was 17th, you know, and I was fighting pretty hard to just not be eliminated in the first few days. So, you know, the writing's on the wall that I can't keep up with, you know, to be top 10 would be an extraordinary feat. Um, At the same time, I know I can, if I flew better and I know I can fly as well as a lot of those guys in the top 10, it's just, you know, there are a number of different factors that that hasn't, you know, that hasn't happened. And mostly that Ted space, it's mostly just being too, serious and not enough in flow and too worried about bombing out and all these things that that go into the race. I don't want to get too deep into that stuff, but it's, you know, but doing it to do better or to be in the top 10 or that kind of thing is just pure ego. And I know for a fact, cause I've now done it four times that even if I did do that, let's say I, I go there and I crush it and I get on the podium or I get in the top five, the come down is no different from being 30th. It doesn't that it won't mean anything. It don't mean anything different. I know that now for a fact, I mean, we can tease ourselves that, um, you know, that if you win, you're going to be, you know, I don't, I don't know that Kriegel gets any more joy or happiness or long-term, you know, he's done it seven times. Now, how many times does he have to tick this, this box? You know what I mean? So he's in the same, same gnarly, weird loop that we all are in. Um, (laughs) And so that's just ego, I think. And I don't know how to separate myself from that. Now, there's the flip side, too, that it just is an epically good time. And, you know, having an epically good time is worth pursuing, I think. And so, you know, part of me just says, okay, what if you just train enough You don't, you don't put the mad crazy hours into doing it and you're not going to be as physically prepared, but this time the whole goal is just pure fun. You're just going to have a good time. Um, And, you know, take a lot of these kind of restraints and constraints and desires and hopes and dreams, take that away and you're just going with Ben and Revis and your Keith and your Ben and the, the, your team. And you're just going to have one in the Alps and, and placing be damned. Now you say that and actually living that, you know, I would, I would need some serious head work in the next year and a half to make that actually happen. But um, you know, there's something to be said for that, but I'm reticent because I know that I've got an ego and I don't, I, I really would, much prefer to, if I was going to do it again, I'd prefer to do it again without the ego. And I don't know how to let that go because the other reality is, it depends on the year 2019, there was hardly any really threatening conditions that we could launch anywhere. And this last year was gnarly. It was really, really, really scary. And, uh, you're not scared when you're doing it, but, um, you know, it was proper life-threatening for all of us every day for the most part, maybe not the first few days, but it was, it was, it was really scary. And there was quite a few fear injuries. And, you know, there's a couple of people that are still dealing with PTSD. Um, you know, you're supposed to go there to have fun. And, you know, I do, I don't have the risk tolerance that I did seven or eight years ago. I, I just, you know, and to have fun in that race or to do reasonably well, you, you can't be thinking about that. you got to fly and heinous stuff and, and have that move and, you know, have trained for it and have, you know, be ready for it and, and kind of laugh at it and have fun with it, which is really crazy. Um, So I just, I don't know if I can handle the crazy yet again. Um, But to your bigger question, you know, how do you fade (laughs) uh, with style into old age? And you know, I, I've had one therapy session in my life. This was for something completely different a long, long time ago. And the, that, that therapist, you know, I was talking about my career and ski racing and, uh, and, you know, competing and because I've, I've had a kind of a lifetime of this kind of thing, but it started with ski racing for many years, a very serious, serious for a long time. And, uh and he said, you know, we're in this place where there's a lot of really high level athletes here in sun Valley. And he said, you know, what he's seen in his life of it with professional athletes is there's kind of, there tends to be two roads, drug and alcohol, the drugs and alcohol or death. Um, it's pretty, that uh, really, wow, geez, really. And, you know, when you're used to competing and being the best and, not that I've ever been that, but I mean, you know, when you're used to competing and, and being in that world and, you know, look at Lindsay Vaughn, I don't know if the listeners are familiar with her, you know, the ski racer. I mean, her life is, you know, it's a, it's a tearjerker when you look at, you know, the loneliness and, the you know, the travel and the dedication, Tiger Woods, there's another one. Mm -hmm. When you look at what these people have had to give up, um, to be at the top and you get the adulation and you get the uh, you get the social media confirmation and you get all these things that I think in the end are pretty empty and and then you got to come down from that you got to find a way to f- climb off that ladder uh, and I don't have the answer for that I think it's I think you know and that's why many end up in drugs and alcohol or they just keep pushing it that, and that's that's where I start to think about the x-ops for me Um, how many hard landings can I take? You know, I'm kind of built like a wombat, but I had some hard landings in this race, you know, another two years, a little more fragile, maybe not as much training. That could be a hospital trip instead of just a bounce. And so a lot of it is just, um, you know, you're a long time hurt. And, uh, so a a lot of it I think is, yeah, how do, how do we get, how do we come down out of the trees and just be normal? and it, I wish I had a better answer for that. I, I don't know. It's tough.
0: No, I really appreciate your reflections. And I think that it's interesting um, to think about aging in life. And I mean, this happens to all of us if we're, if we're lucky to age, right? Aging is a privilege. Um, yes. and, and yet for someone like you who has, you have been for so long in your life in that competitive athletic space and you have the talent and you have the ability. And honestly, it takes ego to do what you're doing to compete in the way Mm. that you compete. And so I think the ego is not, it's not all bad. It's just figuring out like, okay, well, how do I now manage the ego rather than the ego managing me? And, and I also think too, you know, the, the shift of perspective where it's not coming down out of all of this stuff, like you, as you age, the experiences you have, the wisdom that you have, really there's the capacity to go to a higher level.
1: Hmm.
0: It just looks potentially very different than maybe earlier in life. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think,
1: uh, you know, there, there are other outlets that I think, you know, again, not to be cliche, but, you know, service um others you know taking the perspective from end to out is is obviously the way forward uh for everybody right um uh, i think that's the true map and road to to joyfulness uh and so yes absolutely and i think um you know but we, we you do have to thread the the change uh hopefully with some <laughs> <laughs> with more style than I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Cause you know, well. I, I, I guess what it is, it's, it's easy to say the right things. You know, when I, when I got done with this race, I, I went into this race, you know, absolutely. This is my last before mm-hmm. the race started, you know, the other ones have been very much, hey, let's see how this goes. And, okay. you know, this one was, was just, it was clear, you know, the, the training was harder. It hurt. Uh, you know, I, my little one is getting to an age now where she's pretty fascinating, you know, when she was two, "Ah, mom's a lot better at this than I am anyway, (laughs) you know, she's not, she's not missing dad too much. And, you know, now it's, you know, she does not like when I leave, you know, I I went and did a Mm -hmm. world cup in Turkey in September and it was kind of hard on her, you know, we were doing Mm -hmm. FaceTimes and stuff. And, uh, but you know, so part of it's just, Hey, Gavin, you've kind of been, uh, pretty focused on you for 50 years and you know this will be this is a great transition you can be a dad and teach her how to ski and teach her how to do all this stuff that you love to do and have one together and you know it's again it's it's easy to say that um and it's you know and I'm trying to embody that and I'm trying to live that but it's tricky yeah it's it's hard and I mean I think a lot of you know parents say the strangest thing. So, you know, we all say, Oh, isn't it so great. It's not so great. I mean, <laughs> what? It's hard. And, and uh, you know, again, the limits of pleasure, that podcast I was listening to this guy, Paul Bloom, you know, he's studied this and unequivocally the science and the data shows that when you have children, your quality of life goes down for those 18, 20 years. And then it starts coming back up again. And yeah. across the board, this is data. You know, when when you ask people how satisfied they are with their lives and how joyful, da 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 da, it's pretty good. They're, you know, their kids, it's great. And then it's a little bit, in the teens kind of hard. Then you have kids, it plummets. <laughs> <laughs> then, then it starts coming back when you're in your 60s and 70s. And you're, I mean, for me, it'll be 70s because I started kind of late at this, but you know, then you retire and you're in life's, you know, then you get the perspective, you know, you get to take the sunglasses off and see the world and uh, for, for what it really is. And you feel like you can just enjoy it. And so, um, yeah, I've got to get to that place. And, uh, you know, luckily I don't have a problem with drugs and alcohol, at least not yet. (laughs) So (laughs) hopefully I can, but um, yeah, I, you know, life's
0: messy. Yeah. Well, and I I I would imagine that you are probably the one that's hardest on yourself and I will just tell you this as we wrap up it as as someone who knows you from a distance and and largely through the paragliding community and and the cloud bias mayhem podcast um you absolutely like do a lot that is focused on you and like you said these events you, it's ego. You have to be selfish. And you also give so much to the community, to others through the podcast, through the book that you've put out, through, I mean, TED talks that you've done. So, you know, like from the outside perspective, Gavin, you are like doing so much for others. And so I hope that you also take some time to, to see that and receive that too, and acknowledge that in in your life as well uh,
1: thank you lisa yeah that's uh that gave me a big smile I, <laughs> I appreciate that no and i mean this this is this community has given me a ton and it's it's a true pleasure and gift to be able to give back to it what i what i what i give it's uh you know it's we're all kind of looking out for each other in this community and it's it's a very special community as you know and so yes uh, yeah it's but thank you for that i appreciate that
0: Yeah, Gavin, thank you so much for your time and for just sharing and the stories and reflections. It has been fantastic.
1: Thank you. I appreciate being here and it's nice to to see you and good luck in Sri Lanka.
0: Thank you. (laughs)